in between sunglasses and there, it's had a little bit of a light reaction in between because So, uh, Father God, as we come before you uh, this morning and uh, begin this Lenten season, I'm excited about Lent. Um, so, as I asked Lenten earlier, it was um, four weeks, three weekends as well as in the scripture, but three begin our Lenten worship and we begin to renew our calling to you and we begin to restore our faith. Father, I pray that you would help open these scriptures to us, that you would expose our hearts our minds, that you would lay our lives bare before you, that you would show us where we need to return, where we are wounded and where we need healing, where our lives need restoring, Father God, where we have fallen away, where we need to repent and come back, where we need to do better, where we have not challenged ourselves, where we have fallen short, areas Father, I pray through our sermon series, through our Bible studies, Father, through the Sunday school series these weeks, through each and every aspect of our own devotional life, each and every aspect of this Lenten season, Lord, that you would build us into stronger Christians, stronger believers, stronger followers of you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I ran across a, uh, a quote. indicate that that's what happens here. Jesus comes out after the baptism and he's driven into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now first, he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights and then the tempter comes to him. So the tempter comes in a weakened state but Jesus enters in a holy state. He fasts. How many of you are fasting for 40 days and 40 nights during this Lenten season? Encouraging you to stop. Are you? remember the story, he says this, in Matthew, 
Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened up to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest upon him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now this is an interesting passage. It's one of the passages where we get the Trinity from, or the doctrine of the Trinity. Because you have Son, Jesus, you have Father speaking, and you have Holy Spirit falling. But it's also important because at this point in Jesus' ministry, the Holy Spirit falls upon him. And from this point on, Jesus is going to act just like you and me. Alright? He's going to act like us. Like we are supposed to act in the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember in Philippians, Jesus emptied himself. He said this during the during the passage, or excuse me, during the um, earlier to the creed. Remember, I told you the earlier to the creed is the Philippians creed. It's the earlier to the Christian creed. And that's why we say it during Christmas and Epiphany, the week of history. And it's said in the common worship, in the book of common worship out of England. And one of the reasons we say it is because it's for the creed. And it's an important passage to memorize. Jesus empties himself, and he becomes human. <clears throat> so whatever that means, empties himself of this God-like power, and he becomes one of us. So when Jesus is performing this miracle, and he's doing all these acts on earth, he does them as a human being under the power of the Holy Spirit. So he acts under the power of the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus is going to face Satan, he's going to resist him under the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's very important. In this, Jesus models a life to the believer after he is gone. And this is important for us to understand. Why? Because even during this, his temptation that's about to come upon him, this resisting of the Holy Spirit, this battle of wits between Satan and Jesus, Jesus isn't using his godlike powers. And so he's teaching you, he's teaching me, he's teaching us, he's teaching us how to like a believer. He's teaching us how to fight Satan. And he's teaching us that we can do this. It's amazing when you think about it. You have the power to fight Satan. He's operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, just like we're called to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is important to understand because the Apostle Paul teaches us this in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Who's Paul talking about there? Who is the evil one? And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, that praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, and to keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications, 
for all the saints. Notice Paul's warning. We are fighting forces that we can't see. That's amazing, isn't it? You are fighting forces that you can't see. Who are these forces? Now, these are not our primary opponents that we see on earth. We need to understand that. A lot of times when you and I, when we engage forces on earth, you and I think that the people that we're engaging with, the things that we're engaging with, the powers that we're engaging are just the people in front of us, maybe even the political forces that are in front of us. So when we were facing, or people were facing in Germany, when Bonhoeffer and all the Christian pastors were facing the Nazi party rising up in Germany, it was tempting to think that it was just the Nazi party that they were facing. When Christians were facing the rise of Mao in China, it was easy to think that it was just Mao that they were facing, and that the butchery and the slaughter of the Christians and the butchery and the slaughter of the Jews and the Gypsies and all of that was simply something that happened because of the people that were rising up. But what Paul tells them, because Paul is going through this, because Christians are going through this, that the Roman emperor telling you that, folks, this stuff that's happening is not simply an act of the Romans and the Greeks and whoever else is persecuting us, that there's something behind this that we need to realize that our fight is not against flesh and blood. That is what he's saying. If you can't believe this, you're not denying, maybe denying scripture. You're not arguing against me. It's what the Bible says. Like, a lot of folks don't want to believe this. And somehow, and I run into this all the time, we have a subset of Christians that say, look, I believe in Jesus, and I kind of believe in angels, but I don't believe in Satan, and I don't believe in demons. Well, then I say, you don't believe Jesus. Because he says it right here. He says it right here. And it's mentioned all throughout Scripture. You can't list of heretics that do that. Marcion, one of the early heretics, did that. He took like this kind of exacto knife and he went through the New Testament and he kind of cut out this section and cut out that section. Well, God likes this. God, Arius did that. I kind of cut out this section and cut out that section and we came up with a Bible that we got. Thomas Jefferson did that. You can use the Thomas Jefferson Bible. He kind of cut out this section and cut out that section and came up with a Bible we like. Schleiermacher did all kinds of Christians do that. We don't like a God who says things that we don't like. We all like a God who says the things that we like. And in our day and age, we don't like a God who says some of these uncomfortable things. And yet, that is what he says. Notice Paul's warning here. that We're fighting more than forces that we can see. Our primary forces are the forces of darkness, Satan, and his host of followers. So our primary mode of fighting this battle is spiritual. Notice what Paul doesn't say. I would challenge a lot of times my Presbyterian brothers, and I'm Reformed, but I would challenge my Reformed brothers. Here's what Paul never says. When facing a spiritual battle, please think them to death. Think and think and think, and reason them to death. More philosophy will stop it. 
If you can study and outthink them, wow, Satan will be overwhelmed. Because the one thing Satan can't do is think. Right? That's what we have learned through history. That great thinkers never fall away from God. Right? Our primary mode of fighting this battle is spiritual. We battle against real live beings that are in the spiritual realm. And God, as God is spirit and we are real, so are they. How do we know this? second thing to note, Satan is a real figure. That's clear in this passage. So Jesus functioned in the power of the Spirit. Satan is a real figure. Jesus is not going out to battle a myth, an idea, a mental construct, or a concept of evil. He's going to be tempted by a being that Matthew calls the tempter, the diabolos, or devil. And Jesus calls Satan. Nowhere in this story is Satan anything other than real. He has power, as we read later. John 13, 26 to 27, Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, a thought entered into him, and that thought helped Jesus. To... No, wait, no, I'm sorry. What does it say? Then after they had taken the morsel, what is that word? Satan entered into him. And Jesus said, what are you going to do? Do it quickly. He is the one who enters into Judas to help him betray Jesus. And we can read about Satan elsewhere in scripture as well. Luke 13, 16. And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on Sabbath day? Acts 5, 3. But Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself a part of the proceeds of the land? Acts 26, 14 to 18. And when he had fallen on the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise, stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things which you have seen me and to those in which you appear, delivering you from your people and the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified and saved by me. When you're ministering to a lost people group, Against the powers that are holding them in bondage. Do you do that? It's something that has to happen. We need to understand that. 2 Corinthians 11, 13 to 15. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. 2 Thessalonians 2, 8 through 10. And then the lawlessness one, the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. And the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. 
and with all wicked deception to those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and to be saved. Now there are many more passages about Satan and about scripture and about demons and fallen angels as well. There's not an option of that. I've just mentioned a small portion. But we see this all throughout scripture. We see even in the Old Testament that demons are real. That certain false gods have power. And these powers are quite evil. It's kind of an interesting passage. It's kind of an interesting thing that goes on. To say such a thing denies scripture written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the words of our Savior and Father. Notice just the smattering of verses we read. That Satan is the primary enemy of God's people. You can't say that he is simply God's enemy in Scripture. Because this is a future activity. John Calvin likes to say that. He's a, he's a famous theologian, reformed theologian. He likes to say, look, Satan was defeated by Christ on the cross. And so there's no demonic activity now. I don't know where John Calvin got that. in the rest of scripture that Satan still has power. And it's clear throughout the world. Maybe he didn't travel through much of the world. He probably didn't, but he didn't. You can see how much activity there is. Look, Satan will bring about the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, the whore of Babylon, and the beast. And the warnings of Paul are given to Christians to constantly be aware of Satan. We're taught not only that we must constantly fight him, but how we are to fight him. It's, and this comes after the cross. You are called and instructed by Paul how to pray and how to fight. That's why Calvin was wrong. You see, in Reformed theology, certain Baptist theology, certain intellectual theology, we don't want to do that because it's uncomfortable. We don't want to believe in spiritual forces. And yet, Scripture does not give us that simply have to deny those passages. Look, we all have passages that are uncomfortable. There are passages that each one of us turns to, and we like to flip them. If you're charismatic, you come to passages that are uncomfortable. If you're non-charismatic, you come to passages that are uncomfortable. If you're conservative, you hit passages that are uncomfortable. If you're liberal, you hit passages that are uncomfortable. If you're a man or a woman, no matter who you are, the Bible will challenge you. Because we're all sinners. We all want to be God. We all want to make up our own God. And so the Bible challenges us. In this passage, it's challenging as well. The devil is real and is out to destroy us. So we are not helpless in this fight. Indeed, Peter teaches us, 1 Peter 5, 8, 9. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Be firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Paul showed us the spiritual equipment that we are called to use. Ephesians 6.14. This is how we fight. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, which is scripture. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Can you do that? It's learning how to act good, holy, 
and his shoes and your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstance, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. These are the tools of the believer. These are all the tools that Jesus will use, and we'll see that next week. These are all the tools that Jesus will use against Satan in the wilderness. This is a cosmic battle. This is a battle that Jesus will win. He's going to undo what happens in the garden. Where Adam failed, Jesus will succeed. Truth, righteousness, prepared through training in the faith. These are the things that Jesus wants us to develop. The ability to trust God even when you can't see the light. Keeping focused on the fact that we are eternal creatures, heavenly bound, and not losing sight of that. Using the scriptures. Fighting in the power of the Holy Spirit via prayers. These are the tools that we are called to develop during Lent to refocus our lives on our spiritual fighting skills. So, believers, how are your tools available? Which ones are sharp? Which ones are weak as you learn over Lent and peace? It's a great time to think about. Take time to strengthen them. So, for you this morning, ponder that. Which ones are dull? Which ones are non existent? Why are they non existent? Why are they dull? For the ones that are non existent, let's pray and think about them and add them. For the ones that are dull, let's sharpen them. For the ones that are strong, Develop your vision to see that which is going on around you every day in the spiritual realm, but which you and I have been trained to ignore. Do you ignore the spiritual realm? Have you thought about the spiritual Run to your elder brother, who is more than a match for all the devils in hell. When you feel overwhelmed by Jesus, when you feel like